health. Um, still early in the new year, and, and many folks are thinking those thoughts, some of those um, desires to be more uh, active and eat better and all that. Those things haven't gone by the wayside yet for everybody. And so a lot of folks are thinking about health. But I want to talk about spiritual health. Now we know about physical health as far as food. Uh, I'm rediscovering that with a granddaughter who's over to our house sometimes. And uh, she, like most kids like certain things, and uh, Angie had something fixed for, her. I think it was chicken and green beans and something else, and and then there was, uh, I don't know why she went and did this, but she bought a big thing of cheese puffs for supposedly Hallie. I happen to like cheese puffs too, so, and I didn't need a huge thing of them. Uh, but anyway, I didn't know Hallie was having lunch. Anyway, I got the cheese puffs. And so I come walking through there. I want cheese puffs. And Grammy says, no, you have to have a couple more bites of chicken and some of your green beans. And what do you think Hallie's answer was? No, I want cheese puffs. <laughs> So, there is a correlation there, and there's decisions that have to be made, and as parents, you have to help that. Otherwise, if you leave it, it to themselves, there's going to be some things that will translate into poor health down the road. So, you want to have healthy habits. So, in a similar fashion, when it comes to spiritual things, and we're going to be looking at a section of God's Word found in the 119th Psalm, if you want to go ahead and turn to that. But there's several disciplines, spiritual disciplines, that a believer needs to have in his or her life. Now, the problem is uh, we don't have somebody there a couple times a day actually fixing things for us and saying okay this is what you've got as far as meals as adults and as young people we need to make these decisions on our own and that requires discipline and that's why they're called the spiritual disciplines that's prayer individual prayer that's some meditation on the word you do that on your own, in your own time. There's Bible intake. That's you reading uh, the scriptures for yourself through the week. There's tithing. There's giving financially. There's silence. You know, we, we, we hear so many voices in our world today. Sometimes we just need to get away and be quiet. And listen to God. So there's, there's all these disciplines that need to be a part of your life. But one of the disciplines is what we do here. Corporate worship. Together. 
that's not enough. There needs to be more that you are doing through the week for your own spiritual health and growth. But what we do here as a church is important. And so what we're going to look at this morning is Bible intake in our corporate setting. As we come together for worship together, how the word is handled during the worship time. That's what I want to talk about this morning. So we're going to start with the word. And so if you have your copy open, if you're able and willing, I encourage you to stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. Psalm 119, beginning with verse 9, going through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wonder from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Father, we do ask a blessing upon this reading of your word. And now we ask through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would apply these words to our lives that we might live for your glory. And we pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, Psalm 119, and this is not going to be the focus of, of the, the message this morning, but the whole entire psalm, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's divided into 22 sections. Each section begins with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. They only have 22 letters. They don't have vowels. They just have consonants. And then each of those 22 stanzas has eight verses, but the whole thing is about the word. It's the priority, the prominence of the word. Now that's on a personal level. If you read that psalm, you will see I, me, my. But I'm going to say that the principles found there apply for us as we gather together as well. There should be a focus on the word in the worship service. Now we're talking this year, I shared last week about our vision and we're focusing on loving God supremely. You see those on the banners. It's out there in the, the hall of the lobby. If you as an individual, and you have a responsibility for this, to do this for yourself, if you are going to love God supremely, there must be a corresponding love for his word. If you do not have a desire for his word, if you're not in his word in a meaningful fashion, you will not fully develop a love for God. 
Because if we want to worship him correctly, how do we know who he is? Well, what he's given us, and the only thing he's given us, is his word. Now, people say, well, you can share the gospel with somebody and you can tell them about Jesus and you don't have to have a Bible with you. Can you do that? You certainly can. But where is your information about Jesus that you're telling them? Where's that coming from? It's coming from here. And if it's not from here, then you're going to be telling them the wrong thing. This is foundational. And so if you're going to love God supremely, and that's what we're, we're it's one of our goals, there needs to be a love for the word. And I want to share with you, this is going to be a different kind of message, but it's going to be about my ministry philosophy that concerns the preaching of the word this morning. And what I want to declare to you, in case you've never heard me say it, I want to make sure I'm very clear that I have the utmost confidence in the Bible. I believe it is inerrant. I believe it is inspired. And I believe it is infallible. Inerrant means that there are no errors contained within its pages. Inspired means that uniquely, like God did with nothing else, these words are very much God-breathed, as 2 Timothy 3 says. These are the very words of God that he chose to communicate to the men who penned these words. They are inspired, therefore they have authority because their source is God. And it's infallible because when we rightly understood the promises and the words of God, as Glenn just read from that passage in Isaiah, they will not fail because the power's in the word. And his word is going to accomplish the purposes for which he sends it. It will not return void or empty because it's the word and it's what God has given us. And so there needs to be a supreme importance there. Now, those characteristics I just mentioned are true in and of themselves. I happen to believe them. There are other men who call themselves pastors who could not make that same claim that I just did because they don't believe that. Well, they can call themselves whatever they want, but if they don't believe that about the word, they're not men of God. All right, so some people don't believe that. It doesn't change the truth. The truth is the truth, and it doesn't change regardless of personal belief. You might have seen that bumper sticker. The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. You can scratch that second part out, really. The Bible declares it. That does settle it. Now, it's good for us to believe it. But if you don't believe it, it's, it's still true. It's, it's still true. Now, 
Bless God, it is good for us to believe it. It, it. it means eternal life. It means when we understand who God is and how he has graciously sent us Jesus the Messiah and we understand that and we accept by faith that gift that only comes through Jesus, yes, that is good for us. It is good to believe it. But it remains true whether we believe it or not. So the word is to have priority. And so how it's handled in the pulpit ministry is very important. Now this month, January, this is the beginning of my fourth year as your pastor. So before going any further, I want to say thank you for three years. I... And blessed beyond measure to consider myself, to call myself the pastor of this church. And my prayer, my hope is that God gives us many, many more years together. But thank you for being here and supporting the ministry of the church. And the teaching and preaching ministry of the word. Now, what I haven't done, and I've been remiss in doing this, and, and I'm, I'm be, I've had my eyes open to uh, an understanding that how I have been proclaiming the word to you, some people don't understand that fully. So that's what I want to do this morning and share with you my understanding of the preaching ministry because this vision that I shared last week the vision about us being as the people of God pushing back the darkness by sharing the light of Jesus and through that main goal of the mission of making disciples and equipping you as the people of God to do the work of God if we're going to accomplish that we need to have an understanding of where we are, where we're going, and why we're doing the things that we're doing. And I do believe the pastor sets the tone for uh, a lot of things in the church. Not everything, but a lot of things. So I want to talk about preaching styles very briefly. And I want to focus on one, the third one, but I want to discuss... Two others. One, and this first one, you may have heard it called this, may have not. You may have never really understood what was going on, but it's what a lot of people call it is the diving board method. The diving board method is the pastor gets up, he picks a particular text, he reads that text, and then he dives off into whatever he's going to talk about has nothing to do with the text he's just read. He's just throwing some scripture out, and then he already knows what he's going to talk about. I don't know if you've... I, I grew up on that type of preaching in, in Tennessee. And while what is being communicated may be true, it bears no relationship to the text. So at a revival service at Stony Point, preacher came and he preached... Uh, the text he used was Mark 2. In Mark 2, it's a story about the paralytic being brought to Jesus by four men. 
and they put the hole in the roof and lower him down and and then it's you know what he preached about well there's no way you could know because you know a you weren't there and b it had nothing to do with that text preached about sunday school and he ended up at the offering i mean the the uh the invitation time he had our sunday school director come down there and he was talking about sunday school the whole time and at the end of the service for the invitation he wanted a response so he basically said if you love jesus you'll come down here and you'll take this man by the hand and tell him you're praying for him now do you think a lot of people came down during the offering time i mean the i don't know why i keep saying that uh our offerings are great by the way we don't need money <laughs> i mean god is blessing us uh so don't don't hear that but during the invitation, how many do you think people came? You bet they came. Everybody in the church came. Man said, if you love Jesus, you, you know what that's called? It's called manipulation. And I try not to use that. I think the Holy Spirit can convict. He does convict. And when he does it, it's right, and it gives glory and honor to God. So I'm not a big fan of the diving board method. The second method, and this is very popular, and it's done very well by a lot of men in Baptist churches, is called the topical method. It's the method I'm using right now. It's what I talked about last week when I talked about vision. But you have a topic in the Bible, whether that's angels whether that's marriage, whether that's the end times, uh, the nature of the Bible itself, you, you have a topic and then you gather scriptures together that address that. And there are some things that you have to do that way. If you're going to talk about the Trinity, which is a very important biblical concept, you've got to draw those scriptures from various places. Because that is a topic that's developed through the whole of the New Testament. There is nothing biblically wrong with the topical method. Like I said, I'm using it right now. But by and large, and I think this is where some of the confusion has come in, and the frustration is what I typically use is the expository method of preaching. And what expository means is this, where the preacher takes the listener through an extended passage of Scripture, unfolds the meaning of that passage from its proper context, and then gives application of the spiritual principles that are contained within the text. The message starts and ends with the text. The preacher, the pastor, doesn't bring his own thoughts or ideas. They come from the Word of God. That's what I typically do. And starting next Sunday, when I begin a series through the book of Malachi, that's what you're going to experience for the next seven weeks, I believe. So... That's the one I typically use. It's my preferred style of preaching. But I've never explained that to you as a congregation. 
So I'm going to read an excerpt from an article. This was written by a pastor named Mark Dever. He's the uh, pastor of Capitol Hills Baptist Church in Washington. He's also the uh, leader of a ministry called Nine Marks. It's Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. Now, not everybody has to agree with this, but I'm going to say this is how I, I believe this. Okay, he says this, The most important distinguishing mark of a healthy church is expositional preaching. It is the most important because careful and thorough preaching of God's word will bring many other blessings to a church. Without expository preaching, other signs of health may be accidental. They may be discarded or distorted all too easily because they did not spring from the word, nor are they continually being reshaped and refreshed by it. But if you establish the priority of the word, then you have in place the single most important aspect of the church's life. With the word established, a church may experience growing health. Without the word, a church health is imperiled. I believe that. That is why I preach the way I do. Now, I believe there's some strengths to expository preaching and there's some weaknesses. And I want to share with you uh, some of the strengths. I think when a pastor is going through the context, basically it's this, it guards against error. Hopefully you don't unless you're just looking for some entertainment, which, you know, that's why I do it sometimes. But if you've ever watched any of these prosperity guys on TV, the health and wealth guys, the Creflo Dollars and the uh, Rod Parsley's and the uh, Joel Osteen's and all that. If you've ever listened to these guys, they they're not big on context. They just throw they pick stuff out. That's how an Ed Young can get up and he actually in his church drove on stage a Ferrari, gets out, and it says, "I drive a Ferrari because I am a Ferrari." God made me one. I'm not making this up. And if you want to take a verse like John 14, 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. God, I want a Ferrari. I'm asking you in Jesus' name to give me a Ferrari. When you just pick stuff up out of the Bible you can distort the meaning. Creflo Dollar can twist scripture about money better than any other heretic false teacher I know. He's got a gift for it. He doesn't preach expository. He doesn't preach in context. But boy he can talk about money and how God wants you to give him money. When you go through the text, you guard against that. Because you're, you're seeing it. You're hearing it. And you can't just make stuff up. Someone's, hopefully someone will say, hey, where'd you get that? 
At least I hope you do, that if I ever start preaching error. Second thing, it prevents, and I think this is important, it prevents avoiding certain biblical teachings. If, and I, I've, I've, I've known this, I've, like I said, I grew up with this, topical preaching, if you don't want to preach on something, you just never pick that topic. You don't like preaching on hell? Just don't. Just avoid it. You don't want to talk about election? Avoid it. You don't want to talk about divorce? Avoid it. You don't want to talk about alcohol? Avoid it. When you're going through a book of the Bible, you preach what's there. You preach what's there. If you're doing it expositorily. So it will guard you. And see, and that is what I am tasked to do. As Paul told the Ephesians elder in Acts 20, when he's departed, he says, For three years I have not failed to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. That's what I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to stand before Jesus one day at the Bema seat, and I'm going to give account of how I use this time. I'm going to be responsible for that. And I've been charged by him to equip you and to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. A pastor should not pick and choose. And in an expository method of preaching, you will hit the issues as they arise. And how this also helps out, it guards against personal agendas. And it protects me as a pastor. That's, hey, I'm just preaching the word. But now, let's just say you happen to be experiencing marital problems. And I find out about it. It's been told to me. And the next week, I start preaching about marriage problems. What are you in the pew going to be thinking? He's talking about me. But when I'm going through, and in Malachi chapter 2... There's a section on marriage and divorce. We will be talking about that as it relates. It's not about because I, I have an axe to grind or, or I've heard about this. As it comes through the text, I proclaim to you the word of God. And it also helps put the pieces together. Some of us have been in church for many years. We know pieces and parts of the Bible, but we don't know how they fit together. How many of you, when you're reading another type of book, whether it's a school assignment, and I know many of us don't read after we get out of school and no one can force us to read, but when you're reading something like Tom Sawyer, do you start on page 50 and read through page 68 and then read page 210 to 222 and then go back and read page 14 through 19 you don't do that but how many of us take a book I mean God inspired this he inspired the prophets to proclaim this in this fashion and why do you think it's there because there's meaning to it the New Testament letters are patterned. And if you just skip 
to this section and miss this section, you're missing the foundation. Paul and Peter, they put Christian doctrine, Christian belief, God first. Then they start talking about application. But a lot of times we'll just come to Ephesians chapter 6 and talk about this and we'll never get to where it starts. So it's about gain, helping you gain confidence. Now, there are some dangers. Stale preaching. When you go through a book, it, it, if, the, if the pastor's not keeping it fresh, it, it, it can be... If it turns into a running commentary, and I... I was kind of guilty of this on Sunday nights when I went through the book of Daniel, the second part of it. And probably shouldn't have done it that way. It was more of a teaching time than a preaching time. And a lot of people struggle with that. That's on me. I'm, I'm, if you were a part of that and you gave up on Sunday nights, I'm sorry. But come on back because we're doing things a little different now. But that is a danger. The other danger, and this is where I think most people struggle with this if you're not used to it. And that's what I've heard, and I appreciate hearing this from, from people. But there's this idea that when I, as a pastor, can plan and prepare things in advance, I am not relying on the Holy Spirit. My approach is not spiritual. If you think that, I want to say I respectfully, totally disagree with that statement. Now, that might not change your idea about expository preaching. Because right now, I've got a, a calendar, a preaching calendar, and it has seven messages in Malachi, then I've got a guest speaker, Scott Huffman, former pastor of Hidden Night Baptist, coming. He's a missionary in India now. He's coming. And then I've got six messages planned for an Easter focus, which will end at Easter. Now, what I want you to know is those messages do not exist now. You cannot go into my office or go to my computer and find any fully developed messages on Malachi or out of Luke that exist. They don't exist. I pray, I plan, I prepare, and then I put the message together the week before. I don't have, when I was going through John, and I heard it, how long is he going to be in John? Well, how many chapters are in John? There's 21. I stopped, but... We'll go back and visit it, but that's why I was going through it. And it's not a race. I mean, why are you here? You're here to hear a word from God, whether it's in chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8. It's God's word, and it's not the same. There's, there's meaning in all of it. That's why we have all of it. And we need to be aware of it. But I do pray. I do. And now, 
if, if, if I just said, I don't care what's going on here, bless God, I've got a message, and I'm going to give it today, then you got a problem with your pastor. I do believe, however, that God honors and rewards the efforts that are put into the preparation of his word. This 30, 35-minute time, and I do know that my 35 minutes are almost up, uh, this is the one time in the week that the majority of this church is gathered. And I want to be as prepared as possible to share with you God's word so it can empower you to live for him. I don't want to come in here off the hip. I think that's a disservice to you. You are here to hear from God. You're not here to hear about my stories. You're not here to hear about my jokes because they're terrible. They're bad. And my kids tell me, don't, 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 don't do that. I was with Landon the other day and we were renting something for Hallie's birthday party and down there at the rental place and I tried to make a joke. You know, they got rental for everything and I saw a little, little Coke machine over there. I said, hey, do y'all rent soft drinks? And the guy... I said, never, that, that, was, that was bad. That, that, and he's like, no, we, we don't do that. I'm terrible. You're, you're not here to hear my jokes. You're here to hear from God. And if you don't hear from God, what's the point? So I want you to hear from the creator God of the universe. And how has he spoken to us? Through his word. So I want as faithfully as possible to share that word with you in a meaningful way that can help you develop a love and appreciation for the scriptures and then apply it to your life. Now, is it always going to be um, evangelistic? Is it always going to be gospel, hey, Trust Jesus, Jesus came, Jesus... No. It's going to be... This is another thing I don't think people understood and it came out in the deacon's meeting. Primarily, primarily, I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching to the church. Who's the church? The church is members of the bride of Christ. Those of you who have already been redeemed already indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. My job primarily is to equip you for the work of the ministry. Ephesians 4.11. I'm to build up the body. I'm to encourage, to equip, to, as, as the word says in 2 Timothy 3, for instruction in righteousness, for rebuke, for correction, for doctrine. That's my job. Most, I'm not even going to say most, I'm going to say every one of you that has been here for any number of years, you've heard the gospel. You've heard it. 
And it keeps coming through. We need the gospel every day. But if the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your hearts and you get fired up about Jesus and you start living your life out there on fire for Christ and being that light in the darkness, guess what's going to happen? People are going to get saved. Faith comes by hearing. As we're out there sharing the word, as we're out there having those gospel conversations, People are going to get saved. So not every message is going to be evangelical. It's not going to be about, hey, you need to trust Christ. Because if that's all you get, 95% of you tune out. You're saying, okay, I know Jesus. But we need to be challenged. We need to be challenged by the word that we're not complacent and that we just don't think, okay, I know Jesus, so I'm good to go. And I'm just going to hang out here till he calls me home. No. We're to go out and serve him. So, we're going to have a response time. <laughs> Mark, you and uh, Tamara and Kim come. Some, God can work in any way. There could be someone here that you, through the music, Jesus Messiah, that you just, wow. Hey, you, you just, the Holy Spirit's convicting you. You need to surrender your life to Christ, give you that opportunity. You want to just come and pray for your pastor. I need your prayers. I covet your prayers. Thankful for the men that, that are praying on Sunday morning. A couple of our deacons are missing right now. And they're not missing, they're in our prayer room. We know where they are, where they are. And I appreciate that. We've been challenged to pray as a men of the church every day at 12 o'clock. We're a little past that now, but we're going to but pray, pray for your pastor and pray one for another. I need this, but if you have any other questions about why I do what I do, please come see me. I'll try to help you understand it. But I just, I just want you to know that the Word must have priority if we're going to love God supremely. Because the Word's what points us to Jesus. And it really is all about Him. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the folks that are here. And God, help us now just to do uh, business with you. But Father, I pray that this time has prepared us, that when we leave this place, we are ready to go and serve you. We ask and pray this in Christ's name. Amen.